Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. My name is Jenna, and I'm here to help you do all the hard things. I'm a licensed professional counselor with nearly 10 years of clinical and research experience working with people who have some of the most debilitating OCD and anxiety in the world. I'm also a mom, a personal trainer, and a lover of modern spirituality. My goal is to bring you all the research, guidance, and encouragement you need to help you remember and know how strong you truly are. Now let's get to it. Alrighty, welcome back you guys to another episode of All the Hard Things. I have a lovely guest with me here. We have Molly, um, and I was just talking to Molly I don't really know much about Molly's story. We both work at an OCD. We both pour our heart into the OCD community as advocates, but I don't really know much about Molly's story. So this is going to be an adventure for me too. So um, we're going to dive into Molly's story. We're going to talk about how OCD has affected her. Um, And I know she feels really strongly just talking about recovery and how it's individual for everybody and kind of what that looks like. So lots to dive into here today, but Molly, thank you so much for being here. Why don't you just share with everybody kind of a little bit about your background, maybe um, some kind of context for, you know, what, what you came to know is OCD and how you found out that you were struggling with it. Mm -hmm. Well, first of all, thank you for having me. I was telling Jenna privately and I will share with the whole world now that I love her podcast. um, And I I just love all of the way that the ways that she breaks everything down is just in very easy to understand ways. So the fact that I am now here on this side of things is an honor. And I wanted to thank her and thank you all for listening. Um, So I am Molly, like she said, and I have OCD. I have had anxiety and OCD since childhood. I don't think there was ever a time that it was, um, that it started. I think I was kind of always an anxious kid and just always living in my own head. Um, And I was, I've always been very, been worrying about what's happening next um, and had a really hard time being present in the moment and in what I'm doing, um, even when it was really fun and enjoyable things, I was always stuck on past mistakes, past things I've said, or future things to come. So that is kind of where I first realized that I think it might have been OCD was just in that inability to be really present in the moment. Yeah. And you're bringing up a lot for me, Part of my story is I've always been a super anxious kid too. And I think in hindsight, we can definitely see it now, but Mm -hmm. I look at old pictures of my son when I was kind of in the thick of it with postpartum. And I'm like, wow, I was not present in that picture. Like Mm -hmm. I remember that picture being taken and we were in front of a giraffe at the Milwaukee zoo, but I remember exactly what I was thinking about. I was not thinking Mm -hmm. about being at the Milwaukee zoo. Like It's just, it's, it's, it's wild. Yes. That is something I've always been kind of called out for is like, Hey, is anyone there? You know, cause I get that kind of 
like far away look where you're not actually there, even if you are physically present. Um, so that is certainly something I can relate to. And it is, it's no fun. Mm-hmm. So you always knew that you were this way. And, and I always knew that I was that way as well. So I, I guess I'm wondering at what point did you, did everything kind of come to a head, I guess, at what point mm-hmm. did you kind of seek out or did your family seek out um, a diagnosis? And as a kid, what was that like for you? Yeah. So I have only, I only received a diagnosis about two years ago. So that was a good 20 years that I lived without a diagnosis, without knowing what OCD even was, definitely without knowing what ERP was. Um, I, I feel like there was this kind of a weird juxtaposition where I felt very alone in what I was going through. I felt like I was the only one who could possibly be experiencing these thoughts and these symptoms. But at the same time, it felt like, well, everyone must live their lives this way because that was the the environment that I grew up in. That was the family that I lived in um, and was a part of and am a part of. Um, And I think that that was really difficult for me to grasp that other people could live differently. Um, And so it wasn't until I went away to college when I started interacting with different types of people and people from different areas and recognized that people don't actually all live their way, their lives this way. Um, And in the sense of having, you know, structure and rules and expectations and all of these things that I always grew up thinking were good things and were positive things. Um, And they are, of course, in some ways, but when it becomes, you know, a little bit too much um, is is when I, yeah, really realized that, other people lived differently. I felt like everyone else was going through life easily. Um, They were able to make decisions quickly and they could study for tests easily and seamlessly. And I never could. Um, And so that was when I really realized I I went to school and I I realized that, um, you know, that there was something a little bit different, I guess. Right. And I love that you are giving specific examples to like what that was like for you, what you were doing, what you weren't able to do in comparison to other people, because I'm always thinking of the audience. And like, if there are any people out there who are maybe like OCD unaware, like maybe they Mm -hmm. feel like they might have it, but they're kind of unsure. And then I know that feeling, I know that experience of like, oh my gosh, I do that. Oh my gosh. I didn't know that that was a thing or, oh my gosh, I do that too. And it's just that feeling of everything clicking, that feeling of knowing that you're not alone, that feeling of knowing like, oh my gosh, Molly put it in my experience in words that I haven't been able to find. So can you give maybe some other specific examples of things that you struggled with? Um, That way, maybe like the audience, you know, they might be feeling that way too. So let's give some light to that. Absolutely. And I think that that is a really important part of recovery is learning that you're not alone, uh, learning that other people have these same exact experiences. And that is something to this day, um, as you know, I've been I've been with NoCD as a peer advisor for over a year um, at this point. And every day when I connect with others who tell me about their symptoms and I feel that sense of Um, you know, just that sense of connection. And I think that that's a really, really important part in in getting through this disorder. Um, So I I know in when I was a lot younger and being in school, uh, school was always really, really challenging for me. I, I, I would like to think that I'm a pretty intelligent person, but I always had a really hard time, again, staying present. And so 
um, during tests and during um, essays and things like that, I would be counting certain things. I remember always counting um, multiple choice tests, um, counting how many of each letter I got. And if it, you know, I'd have to do the math and figure out exactly which one. And, and at that point, it's like, you can't be taking the test, you know, well, if you're so stuck on, on those numbers. Um, a lot of reassurance seeking. So I would always be asking my friends, um, do you like me? Are we still friends? Did I, and then of course, you know, the, the questions like, did I do something that made you not like me anymore? Um, when I was a little bit older than getting into like dating and, and starting to meet up with, you know, people romantically, um, just so much anxiety around their feelings for me. Um, did, you know, did I do something that made you think I'm a different type of person? A lot of my um, OCD symptoms go into that, the theme of like moral scrupulosity. So just really concerned about presenting myself as a good and moral person. Um, but of course it would latch onto things that don't make sense. So if I put on my turn signal and I didn't leave it on for the entire turn, you know, everyone around me must think I'm this terrible person. I should get my license taken away. I shouldn't even be driving, um, things like that. But then of so much checking, I think that is probably my biggest compulsion still to this day, um, checking anything. I know that's really generic, but, uh, did I turn off the light, you know, those kind of simple ones that, that aren't necessarily distressing, um, just in the sense that that's not, you know, not that big of a deal, but then of course going to, did I, um, you know, any, anything kind of going off of that in terms of checking that I did something the, the right way or the correct way. Um, but I think, yeah, a lot of my, a lot of my compulsions have been mental compulsions. So a lot of reviewing past events, reviewing um, past conversations specifically. I'm sure even once Jenna and I are finished with this and I'm laying in bed tonight, I'm going to be, you know, remembering all of the things that I stumbled over um, and, and made me feel, made me seem like not a good person. Um, so that, that's a couple of examples, I guess. Those are such great examples. And I think that's so important because I'm just imagining, like I said, the person out there who's listening in their car and they're like, oh my gosh, I review things in my head too. Mm -hmm. Like, are you, are you having that experience that someone else, like that this isn't the way that things are supposed to be, that, mm -hmm. that not everybody's brain works that way. And that there's a different way of being, yeah. um, so you really spoke to Molly, you spoke to, you know, that 20 year gap of where you were kind of struggling and struggling in plain sight. You didn't have a diagnosis. You weren't sure what was going on, but you, you did finally get that diagnosis. And I'm sure for, for you and for so many people out there, that's a multifaceted emotional experience. So there's mm -hmm. this relief of like, oh my gosh, I'm so glad that I have this um, diagnosis now, like, I, I feel like everything makes a little bit more sense, but it's also super daunting, right. To just mm -hmm. start that, um, recovery process and not to mention with exposure and response prevention, because it just seems totally counterintuitive to what your OCD has been telling you to do. So, um, what was your experience just kind of finally getting that diagnosis and then starting the process of exposure and response prevention? Yeah, I think you said that very well. Um, I when so when I was in college, I went to 
kind of the counselor there, I guess. And they were, they told me that I was anxious, that I had college stress. Um, and they, it was, they were very diminishing of what I was going through. I also did not have the words, I guess, to explain really what I was going through. Um, as is the case with a lot of people with OCD, I had a lot of shame surrounding my intrusive thoughts. Um, especially the ones that were, you know, a little bit more focused on harm or sexual, um, you know, sexual nature. And I think that that is also something I definitely wanted to make sure I touched on here because everybody experiences those. Um, and that is a, a human experience. Um, but so I just, I had gone to a couple of talk therapists, never really um, was making much progress. It was somewhat helpful in the sense that talking about your anxiety and your stress can make you feel a little bit lighter in the moment. Um, and then I would leave their office and I would just give in to my compulsions again because I didn't even know what they were. I had no idea what OCD was. Um, I just kind of kept thinking it was anxiety. And uh, through Instagram, actually connecting with other people who also have OCD and just talking more openly about my mental health, I, I finally started to piece the piece, piece the puzzle pieces, I guess, together um, to recognize that it was not just anxiety, that there was this very distinct cycle in my the way that my brain worked, um, that I would have the anxious thought, engage in the compulsion. And I, I was like, this is, you know, I would read things and I would say, this is exactly what I'm experiencing. Pretty sure this is OCD. Um, went to a therapist, received a diagnosis. And yeah, like Jenna, you were saying, it was so much relief, so much um, just solidarity, knowing that there is a name for what I was going through and that there is a really effective treatment. That was so huge. Just learning about ERP, um, the first few sessions that I had with my therapist were really focused on education. And it was so important for me to learn that because I had no idea. Um, and it answered so many questions like you were saying earlier about my childhood, about you know certain behaviors and reactions that I had when I was younger that I just thought were who I was as a person. Um, I kind of learned that they were probably attributed to the OCD. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I love that time in the beginning of treatment where it is so heavily focused on education because you can see, especially when the, the dots kind of start to connect and they realize like, oh my gosh, I've, I've been making this worse the entire time by giving into these compulsions. They really, truly, if they've never heard of exposure and response prevention before, it's, it's really wild to see them finally get it. Mm -hmm. Um, so these, the, these audience members, they've heard it from me a bunch of times, but I'm curious how, you know, you, someone else who's been through recovery, who's been through the whole process, what really stood out to you as far as that psychoeducation goes? And like, what would, what would you want to convey to any listeners out there when, as they're maybe starting their ERP journey, as far as the just basic psychoeducation goes? Yeah. I think one of the biggest things that I learned is that everybody lives with uncertainty. Um, and it, it seems so obvious once you kind of dive into that, that when the average person gets in their car and drives to work, they can't guarantee that they're going to get there safely. Anything could happen in that process, you know, in that, in that journey. Um, and that that's okay, that the average person just lives with that uncertainty, goes about their day, doesn't as ascribe any meaning to it. Um, but that for somebody who has OCD and anxiety, they're 
their anxiety latches on to that uncertainty. And that that's kind of the whole point of ERP is recognizing that we're not trying to answer the questions. We're not trying to solve the problems. We're trying to live with those questions, honestly, and live with that unknowing uncertainty. Um, so that was something really important that everyone lives with uncertainty. It is what we do with the uncertainty that truly you know, guides our lives. Um, and something else that I think is, is was really important is that, well, something that I kind of related um, ERP2 is going on a roller coaster. Um, I love roller coasters. I'm one of those people that really enjoys adrenaline things, you know, um, skydiving, bungee jumping, roller coasters. And I think that for people who enjoy roller coasters, this analogy will make sense. Um, when you are going to, you know, going up the hill and you're about to go down the first, that first huge hill. And it's so scary because you can't see anything in front of you. It's, you know, you might as well have your eyes closed. You don't know what's to come, but you also know that it's going to be amazing and it's going to be fulfilling and you're going to want to do it again. Um, that is kind of what I relate ERP too, because it's scary and you have no idea what's to come, but you know that your life is going to get better by going through this experience. Um, and that's, that's kind of something that I found, I kind of realized myself um, is that that is what ERP is. It's that, you know, adrenaline of this is so scary, but I want to do it because I want a future that looks different. Yeah. And that because is so important. And mm -hmm. I was just talking to someone last night in one of our support groups about how like ERP is so hard and I'm a positive reinforcement type of person and I'm a short-term gain, um, you know, instant gratification person and ERP is so hard. And it's like, that's all so true. That's all 100% true. Mm -hmm. Um, and you have to have a really important why you have to have mm -hmm. a really important because, and for you, yeah. that was because it was like, I'll do whatever I'll do literally whatever I'll go up and down this roller coaster a million times because I need a better life. I want a better mm -hmm. life for myself. Mm -hmm. Um, so, so yeah. So talk us through like what that first exposure was like for you. What advice could you give someone who's kind of just now starting in that process? Yeah. Um, so I, and I love that, that, um, I actually wrote that exact, that exact thing down short-term pain for long-term gain, long-term gain, um, because it is, you know, in the moment exposures are not enjoyable. Um, but it is something like you said, in a long-term, it will pay off. Um, so I think that something I would say, I'm so sorry, what was the question? What would I tell somebody who is just getting started on exposure. Yeah, I was curious about like your experience with that first exposure, because back to your analogy, right? Like the first roller coaster is, is probably the scariest in some regards. So, mm -hmm. so yeah, what was that first experience like for you and what advice might you have for someone who's getting ready or gearing up to do their first exposure? Yeah, I think that trusting your therapist is huge. Um, I, I had a really good connection with my therapist and she was very sarcastic, which was what I needed um, because I am also a very sarcastic person. I recognize that doesn't work for everybody, but she and I were able to kind of poke fun at the OCD in, in some ways. And I think that that was beneficial for me. Um, again, doesn't work for everybody, but the first exposure, I don't remember um, exactly what was first, but I do remember just being absolutely terrified um, and talking and, and trying to, I remember coming up with excuses for 
myself. Um, so I remember wanting my dog. So because I was doing therapy online and through no CD, I was obviously over the computer screen. And I remember having my dog with me and my therapist called me out because that was distracting me from actually sitting with the anxiety. Um, and that was something that stuck with me since then is that you have to actually be there and you have to actually do the hard work. And I know that sounds like, yeah, of course, but um, that, you know, you can't distract yourself away from the exposures. If you're not actually willing to put in the work, I don't think exposures are going to be effective. Um, and something else I think is really important is, is that you need to be doing the work for you. So your, your relationships and your career and your friendships might get better because of the work you're putting in, but you need to be the one who actually wants to make this work. Um, and I, I think that that is something really important that you can't, you can't force somebody to be ready for therapy. If you're, if you are ready and you're willing to, to do the hard things, um, then I think you will be successful. That's what it kind of all boils down to, right? Is like a willingness to do the hard things. There are even some like basic willingness experiments that we do sometimes, like we've done it with in the research, uh, to kind of test someone's willingness, like putting your hand in cold water, uh, mm -hmm. like little things like that. Like, are you willing to do difficult things for the sake of building that muscle? Because that's mm -hmm. essentially what it is. Um, so we know having been there ourselves and, you know, I'm a therapist, you help people every day who have this disorder. We know that treatment is individual, right? So, um, you know, everyone's hierarchy is individualized to their, you know, unique needs, even to people who have the same quote unquote subtype, um, mm -hmm. even to people who have say harm OCD are going to potentially have completely different hierarchies because their triggers are different. Their core fears might be different. Um, and so I know something that you feel really passionately about is just like what recovery looks like and how that's just really individual for each person. So, um, talk to us about that. What is recovery? What does recovery really look like? And, and what does it mean for it to kind of be individualized to each person? Absolutely. I think that we could have an entire podcast episode just on that question. Um, because I think, like you said, recovery is so individualized for each person, what they you know, and, and your idea of what recovery looks like before getting started is probably, at least for me, it was different than what it actually looks like now. Um, so I, I think it's really important to recognize that recovery from OCD does not mean being free from OCD or being free from anxiety or even your intrusive thoughts, um, because I know that was something I thought when I when I first started doing some research into OCD, I thought that I could get rid of the OCD. Um, and that's unfortunately not necessarily the case for most people. Um, I think one of the biggest takeaways that I've learned throughout my recovery journey, um, because I, I would say I am in recovery. I don't think I'm ever going to be recovered. I think it is a lifelong journey. Uh, that is my personal take on it. But I think being able to do the things that you want to do, even with that anxiety or that OCD or those intrusive thoughts there for me has been what recovery looks like. So not avoiding things anymore, not, um, you know, saying I'm too anxious to do these things or I'm too scared to do these things. It's okay to be scared. Recovery does not mean absence of fear. I think that's a really important part too, is that it's okay to be scared and to still do the things. 
Um, and so for me, being present, being actually present and being here um, is, is what recovery is for me, is, is being able to focus on what's actually happening in front of me and not tomorrow or yesterday. Yeah. So many people, myself included, we get caught up in this, like wanting to get rid of, get rid of, mm-hmm. get rid of, um, versus just trying to accept them. Um, mm-hmm. and I always try to, that's one of my first pieces of psychoeducation for, uh, my, my clients, my members is that we have to have the right goal. We have to have the right intention. Um, going into treatment and throughout treatment, our goal cannot be to get rid of these experiences because like you said, these are universally shared experiences. People all over the world, research shows they experience these types of intrusive thoughts, images, doubts, um, sensations, urges, et cetera. And so it's not the presence of those experiences that are the problem. It's mm-hmm. how with OCD, we uh, interpret them in, as, as far as being significant, right? So we take responsibility for those thoughts. We um feel the need to control certain thoughts. There's an element maybe of perfectionism there. And certainly, you know, obviously the intolerance of uncertainty that just need to know, um, Mm -hmm. those are the issues. And those are the things that exposure and response prevention can readjust. Um, so, so yeah. So, um, I also, you know, just love how you really emphasize, you know, that, that, recovery doesn't necessarily have to mean that you're rid of your OCD or that that's mm-hmm. not part of your day or part of your journey that you it's re- it's really when you realize that you can go and do all these things and just kind of bring it with you like yep yeah. you you can either come along with me or or you don't have to like mm-hmm. it's not really up to you. I mean it's not up to me it's it, you can or you can't but I'm doing what I want to regardless like I have an agenda yeah. I'm going to keep doing what I want to be doing um so maybe walk yeah, us through I, an example of that for yourself. Like what's an example of when like you really committed to your values and it was really anxiety provoking for you, but you, you did it anyway, because that's what treatment is all about. Yes. Yeah. And I, I, one of the biggest things that I have learned is that anxiety itself cannot harm us and that it seems so Um, I don't know that, that to me seems so seemed at one point so far away because the anxiety was the thing that was holding me back from anything. Um, and to learn that the anxiety is actually okay and I can accept it and I can do the things, uh, was really, really big. Um, but recently just this past week, actually, I, so I live on the East coast, um, and just this past week, my husband and I went out to California um, and we were able to travel around San Diego and around Joshua Tree Forest. Um, traveling and exploring different places is one of the most important things to me. It always has been. And it was it was so scary being on an airplane, obviously, is, is really scary. Um, and then climbing up these mountains and looking down and just seeing, you know, I'm, I'm not necessarily afraid of heights, but, but when you're up on those mountains and there is nothing below you, it is so scary. It takes your breath away. Um, and the images and the thoughts that I was getting, the urges even to jump or to push the person next to me over the cliff. I mean, that is 
there is, it, it was so, you know, just such a scary, intense feeling. Um, but I knew that I wanted to be there. I knew I was safe. And I knew that that was something that really meant a lot to me is being able to travel, going with my partner and exploring the world um, is huge to the both of us. And so that was something that I did, even though I was really, really scared. And even in the moment, I was scared. You know, the, the anticipatory anxiety was there beforehand. But then even once I was there, I remember thinking, I am so scared. Like, this is so, so hard to do right now. And I'm still doing it. Um, and that was something I, that I, I really am proud of myself for doing. And I, I think that it was a huge step. Um, that, you know, shows myself that I can do these things that are scary and the anxiety was there with me for sure. Um, but I, I was still choosing to do the things that I wanted to do. That's absolutely incredible. Um, and you must be so proud of yourself after the fact, like I love of, of all the things that I love about exposure and response prevention, I think I'm most drawn to personally and also as a therapist, like witnessing that experience, that mm -hmm. what we call the corrective experience, right? Kind of mm -hmm. like the rush of after you've come down from that worry hill, um, you know, you build up, you build up, you build up, you're at that peak and then everything kind of comes down and you have this corrective experience of like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I just did that. I can't mm -hmm. believe I just did that. That's so yeah. cool. Yeah. Um, and then like you said, Molly, you almost get this like adrenaline rush, like, oh my, and I've felt this way before with my own exposures. Um, like, oh my gosh, I, I want to do it again. Like I want to mm -hmm. do it again because it's so empowering when you call the shots again, right? Like when mm -hmm. you call the shots, um, when you're, when you can sense yourself, like getting back in the driver's seat, that's a really mm -hmm. powerful feeling. Um, yeah. and so I think it, it's, so important to recognize, like I did that, you know, it obviously like there were other people there and, and it was nice to take pictures, but like I did that for me, for, for what I wanted to do. Um, and that's, that's something really important in recovery is doing those things for yourself, just so that you have those memories and you have that feeling still. So, so cool. And to think about like all the things that you know, like was on the other side, like that, that could have been on the other side of recovery, right? Like the, where you were just maybe giving into OCD and you weren't traveling and, and you were maybe isolating at home by yourself. Like that's, it's not the life that you were setting out to live. So, um, what are other than traveling, um, other than kind of, you know, pushing through recommitting to your recovery every so often, what are some other things that kind of keep you moving forward in your recovery? What helps you stay committed even now? Um, I think that recognizing how far I have come has been something that kind of keeps pushing me, um, that documenting, you know, and, and remembering what I used to do and live the life that I used to live um, is so different from the life that I live now in, in so many ways. Um, I know my first semester at college, I very rarely left my dorm room because I was terrified. I went to class and I came home and I went to sleep. Um, and that was pretty much it for a few months. And that, you know, to think that that used to be me and that that's the same person blows my mind. Sometimes um, I do also have social anxiety. And so being around other people is really, really challenging. Even today, again, that's not something that ever goes away. Um, 
but recognizing the things that I that I was once not able to do that I am able to do now is really important. Um, and that something else really big, I think, is that I have always had this ability inside of me. Um, you know, a therapist obviously helped me realize that, but they did not give it to me. They didn't, you know, change my world in the sense of that. You know, I I was the one who brought this out, I guess. I, you know, I seek treatment. I admitted I needed help. Um, they were the ones to provide that help. And I am, you know, forever grateful for my therapy appointments. Um, but recognizing that just, yeah, that I had that inside of me all along is, is something really important as well. That is so powerful. I feel like that it's been, it's, it's been a while since I've heard, something like a new concept. And I feel like you just like blew my mind a little bit there because it's so true, right? Like you, and I would say that to any of my members, like when they say, thank you for all of my hard work with them or all of my advice or, or guidance or whatever. I'm like, I did, I just like helped you realize what was already there, but that's Mm -hmm. gotta, that's so special. I love that. Mm -hmm. My gosh. Yeah, I, going to therapy was, it, I just learned so much about myself. Obviously exposures were what, what, you know, and the response prevention is what was most important in getting through the OCD. Um, but the the confidence that I gained from the therapy, learning that I, I can do this, um, you know, and I, I, never, I never had that thought before going to therapy. I never had the confidence in myself to be able to accomplish these things. Um, so that's, it is, it's so interesting hearing it from a therapist's point of view that, you know, we are the ones who are making the difference. 100%. My goodness. So I, again, I'm coming back to the people who are listening. Um, probably so many people in there are at different stages of their journey. And as we wrap up here, Molly, I really am curious, what would you tell someone out there? They, are just starting their journey. They're like really on the fence about treatment. Um, they hear all these great things about exposure and response prevention, but they're really kind of like afraid to take that leap or to, to do those exposures. Um, what would you tell someone out there if they're just kind of really afraid of the whole exposure process? I would say that it is very scary. Um, there is, I think, there is no reason to sugarcoat that exposures are scary. They're hard, um, but they are also things that you have already been doing. You know, you, you are triggered and you're anxious every day of your life by numerous things. Um, and so doing in, in a sense, the exposure is the easy part because it is things that you are already being exposed to. Um, and that's why I think the response prevention, the RP is so necessary to this journey um, because that is how you are kind of retraining your brain and rewiring your brain to react differently to the thoughts or to the images, sensations, whatever it is. So I think that the exposures are um, are hard, and they are a part of of the whole journey. It's it's one of those things where you just need to kind of trust the process, trust the therapist, recognize that living living with untreated OCD 
in my mind is so much scarier than any exposure your therapist can have you work on. Um, living, you know, that life locked in your mind or locked in wherever it is that your OCD is keeping you to me is always going to be scarier than any exposure you can work on. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Um, so you mentioned we're going back a little bit, but again, as we wrap up here, um, you mentioned that you really struggled, um, and, and still do potentially with, uh, mental compulsions. Mm -hmm. So what would you, I know something that's really like a trip up moment and kind of like a sticking point for people, um, is there, maybe they're doing their exposures, but they're like, how do I resist mental compulsions? How do I sit with it? Like, what does that mean? So, um, these are some kind of like ambiguous terms to people, maybe when they're first starting out therapy. So what's your take on that? Just like how, how, how to resist mental rituals and also like, what would you describe it as? to sit with it. Yeah, I have found that mental, for my own experience, mental rituals are so much more challenging than physical um, because it, you know, you can't, as much as you can be open with your therapist, you can't really describe what's going on inside your brain. Um, and that I think has been something that I'm, you know, still learning that no one else, nobody else is a mind reader. Um, but I would say that, the biggest thing for that is to probably um, redirect your attention back to the exposure or back to the you know activity that you're working on, um, because again you you are your brain is so used to engaging in those compulsions um, and especially when it's mental. I oh sorry I know for myself it it feels so. Um, natural and it, it just feels like that's that's just the way it goes there's no way to to kind of break up that cycle um and so being aware of it is always a really important step is is naming it labeling it as a mental compulsion um and not a natural part of having a brain was something that i that i learned um and yeah redirecting yourself not not distracting yourself but bringing your attention back to the task at hand is how to kind of ignore in a way the mental compulsion. Perfect. I, I love hope that. that made sense. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah. Cause I have my own way of describing it, but you know, sometimes it's, you can say the same thing a million different ways and it clicks for, for someone differently. So I think that's mm -hmm. amazing. Mm -hmm. Um, as we wrap up here again, Molly, thank you again so much for, for sharing the intimacies of your story and, and just being vulnerable with us. If you could go back and tell Molly anything, I kind of am curious, like what you would tell Molly as a kid? What would you tell Molly as a kid? And what would you tell Molly um, like right when you started therapy? Mm -hmm. It's actually really funny. My coworkers and I just were having this conversation of being children and not knowing that we had OCD and wishing that we could go back and like hug that little Molly. Um, so something that I would say, which is, it's kind of cliche, but it is so true is that you're not alone in that experience, um, whether or not somebody has OCD even, um, there, is, there are people out there who have had similar thoughts, similar experiences, similar um, you know, sensations, urges, all of the above um, that you're having. And it can feel really, really isolating at times. And especially again, when it's more of those taboo sexual or violent or harm um, thoughts, but you are so far from alone in in that experience. Um, and 
Something else I would definitely tell myself is that there is an entire world of people who get it, um, who, who have been there, who know what it's like, who, you know, have struggled like you. Um, but on the other side of that, there are, there's also an entire world of people who have gotten through this and have been able to live the lives that they've always dreamed of living, um, even with that anxiety there, that OCD present. Amazing. Um, one last question. I always like to ask my guests this, um, and my, I don't know if I've asked this to someone in a while. It's been a while since I've had someone on the show, but well, Elise was on here, but, um, my whole motivator and, and reason behind creating this podcast and, uh, naming it all the hard things was because I remember so vividly working with someone who was really struggling with OCD and one of the brightest, smartest, coolest people I've ever worked with, but they just, they looked at me one day and they said, why would I go out of my way to do something that's hard if I could have the easier way? And I think we were talking about a silly exposure, like wearing an uncomfortable item of clothing or something like that. Um, and I, I remember being like, I don't even know where to start with that. Like, it is so important to do hard things. And I had a million things to say, but I also had nothing to say. So mm -hmm. it's like, I'm going to make a whole freaking podcast about why <laughs> it's important to do hard things. So Molly, last question before we wrap up, why is it so important to do hard things? I so I knew you were going to ask that because you always do. And I should have had something prepared and no, I didn't. We need like the real deal. Just like whatever comes from, from your wonderful little heart. <laughs> so I think that doing ERP is like tough love in the sense that you don't want to do it. Um, no one wants to do these exposures. They're not fun. They're very uncomfortable. They can be really scary at times. Um, but they do make you better. They, they teach you things about yourself and about the world around you that you had no idea you even wanted to know. Um, and that is, that's why I do the hard things is because this world is not meant to be easy and seamless. Um, there are, of course, you know, certain times we would love it to be, but that's, that's not how we learn and grow. Um, and the only way to truly mature and to find out about yourself and, and everything else is by doing these uncomfortable, hard, awkward things. Um, that is truly how we grow as a person. I love it. I love it so much. And I'm so <laughs> glad it was as though you wrote it on a notepad or something, but you didn't. So I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you again so much. Um, where can our listeners find out more about you? I know you're on Instagram and so anything else that you have to share too, would be great. Yeah. So I am on Instagram. Um, it's, so my name is it's always Molly, um, but it's with dots in between. So it's period, always period Molly. And that's Molly with an IE. Um, so that is where you can find me. Other than that, I, like Jenna had mentioned earlier, I do work at NoCD. She is a therapist. I am a peer advisor. So I am somebody who obviously has OCD and has gone through treatment with NoCD and helps uh, members kind of walk alongside them as they go through their therapy process. So if you are, you know, going through therapy, definitely I am there for you, um, but Instagram is where I do a lot of advocating and just connecting with other people who share similar experiences.
Awesome. Well, thank you, Molly. Thank you so much. I'll make sure to put Molly um, and her Instagram in the show notes. So we're going to wrap it up today, you guys, but uh, thank you so much. Thank you, Molly, for sharing your story with us. And until next time, everybody keep doing all the hard things. For more information and resources, head to my website at www.jennaoverbaugh.com. From there, you can sign up for my email newsletter so you can make sure that you are the most up-to-date about upcoming resources, podcast episodes, blogs, challenges, and more. Also, check me out on Instagram at jenna.overbaugh and tune into some other episodes here while you're at it. As always, if you have a free minute, it would mean the world to me if you could please subscribe and rate this podcast. Subscriptions and ratings help me keep the podcast going and help me spread the word to other people who need these resources and they otherwise may not get them. With that said, thank you guys so much for tuning in. I really love creating these episodes for you. And until next time, keep doing all the hard things.